Now, I want to begin just with a question that I, I imagine most of you know the answer to, or maybe you've heard this before. I'm just like, have you ever heard of the, the term hindsight is, is 2020? Likely you've heard that. It's really this idea that, that it's easier to kind of look back and, and evaluate your, your circumstances and, and situation uh, after you've gone through them, right? After you've been through all the things, it's easier to look back and say, oh, this is, this is how it worked and this is maybe what I missed or, or whatever. How do they say hindsight is 2020? Well, when our first trip to, to Disneyland, I had this, the hindsight is 2020 experience. We, we visited the California Adventure and uh, I Midway Mania for me is like top three ride of, of all time. And I realize that might be a kind of a hot take. Not everybody shares that opinion. But uh, I really like that, that ride. It just, it has, I'm competitive just a little bit if you don't know that about me. And, and I just like to be able to, to <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> I, like, I, I can be a little bit competitive, and, and what I noticed was that there was like high scores, and so I wanted to try to get them, right? And I was competing with my own kids, and I was doing fine against them, but I, I couldn't reach these high scores. I was scoring 70,000, 80,000 points, but the high scores were like 400,000 points or more, and so eventually I, we were getting on the ride for the last time of the night, we were just about to leave, and, and I asked one of the, the workers that helped you on the ride, is there, is there a secret? Like, how are these people doing this? And she said, yeah, there's kind of some cheat, some ways to like... Like, for example, you can shoot at the volcano, and if you hit a certain number of balloons, the volcano explodes, and you get all these balloons, you have all these points. And so we tried a couple of these cheats and, and ended up with a lot more, a lot more points. And, and on the last round, I thought, man, if I only knew then what I know now, <laughs> I'd have done a lot better. Now, that's maybe what we feel when we think about hindsight is twenty twenty. We think, man, if, we, if I'd only known then what I knew now, things would be so much different. And, and certainly our friend up here, the the stormtrooper who says, man, those really were the droids you were looking for. Like if only he had known then what he knows now. They say hindsight is, is 2020. Now, I imagine that, that many of us have, have had similar experiences to some extent where you've just looked at, at life and, and you just thought, man, if only I could have had the perspective that I had now back then. But the reality for us is, is that that's just not possible. Like we don't, we don't live with past perspective or we don't have past perspective when we're living. We can only take the information we have now, the life experience, the, the worldview, our, our moral convictions, and, and make the decisions that we want to. And, and sometimes we even make those decisions by faith. You see, this morning we're going to continue in our series that we're calling by faith, where we're making our way through Hebrews chapter 11, where we're looking back at all of these women and men who, who lived by faith in a, a very faithful God, so that we might be able to actually live by faith here and now. So when we talk about the, this idea of, of by faith, we, we've described it over the last few weeks as, as this, so that we could understand it, that it's with a, a life-altering trust— Enduring confidence and, um, and, and uh, one other thing. Oh, wait, I'm going to explain that one in a second. With life-altering, enduring confidence, life-altering trust in the power, wisdom, goodness, and faithfulness of God. But as I was studying this week, as I was looking at Hebrews chapter 11, I realized that there was one more thing that we should probably add into that. And that is radical obedience. So if we were to change it now, it would be by faith is life-altering trust with radical obedience and enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, 
goodness, faithfulness of God. And as we read today, I think you'll agree with me and, and see why. So if you have a Bible, let me encourage you to open it to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 8 through 12. And as you're finding that, if you're willing and able, I want to invite you to stand with me as, as I read from God's word this morning in, the, in Hebrews chapter 8. Or Hebrews chapter 11. Starting in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign, in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, who architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand in the seashore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Now, one of the great things about this passage in particular when we look at it is that when we look at Abraham and we look at Sarah and how they live by faith, we see those three things. We see a life-altering trust. We see radical obedience. And we see enduring confidence in a God who is good, faithful, wise, and powerful. Now, for us to help, to help you understand and see those three things in this passage, we're going to look at a couple of little chunks of, of Scripture. So we're going to start with verse 8 where it says, By faith, and then I added in there, with radical obedience, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, I'm not a fan of moving. We've only moved a handful of times, and one of, one of them was across the world. And, and I just, I, the whole process is just not my favorite, packing up, unpacking, hauling across, all of the things, the, the sweat, the blood, the tears, all of it is, is just not my favorite. And, and I typically know where I'm going when, when I'm moving. And, and yet we look at, at Abraham, and he, this, what he did seems quite quite crazy. I mean, maybe, I don't know, if you remember that story, it's found in, in Genesis chapter 12. Let me just read that to you. There's four verses that we'll read in chapter 12 and that tells the story of, of who was then Abram before he became Abraham. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. So the question maybe is what made this type of obedience a, a radical obedience. So maybe for us, we would even just start with what is it, what does radical mean? When I, when I was growing up, the word, we used the word radical. We said things were rad. And it kind of meant like they were cool for children today, the, the young people in the room. Maybe it'd be drippy or W. 
Like, like he was a W dude, right? So then if you don't know, for all the adults in the room, if you don't know what I just said, talk to a middle school boy, and he will explain to you what drippy and W mean. But essentially, that is how I understood rad and radical when I was their age. But when we say that we're talking about radical obedience, we're not talking about drippy obedience. We're talking about obedience that was, that was very different from the usual, that was very different from the traditional. And what Abraham did in this moment with his family, with Sarah and his whole clan was, was very different and unusual and not traditional. To, to leave his, his homeland was, was not traditional and usual. To leave his, his community and, and his relationships was not usual or traditional. For him to actually to leave where he was, felt safe, where he felt familiar, where he knew how things worked, it was not, it was, that would be very unusual and not traditional. What Abraham did with his family was what we would call radical obedience. And he did this not even knowing where he was going. He had no idea, not even a map. He was just following the Lord and, and leaving, leaving and going where the Lord was, was leading him to go. Now, for us, myself included, just the thought of that kind of radical obedience may turn us off from the idea of, of wanting to, to live by faith, right? Like the idea of like you're, to do those things, it's, that sounds like a lot. But I imagine that if I were to ask people in this room, if I were to ask you, do you, do you want to live by faith? Most of us would say, yeah, I, I want to, to live by faith. I want to live that way. I want, that would be my desire. But but the thing is, when we typically wait to live by faith until it makes sense, or at least until we think God makes sense, and more often than not, living by faith won't make sense until after you've trusted God and lived by faith. As they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's not until we've actually taken that step of faith and, and followed with radical obedience that we actually can understand what God was doing in, in the middle of it why he was leading us into it. Abraham in the moment had no idea what was going on, and yet he followed obediently. I want to share with you a quote from um, Jim Elliott, who was uh, a missionary in Ecuador who lost his life trying to, to reach a, an indigenous tribe in, in Ecuador. And he said this about obedience. He said, rest in this. It is his, the Lord's business, to lead, to com command to impel, to send, to call, or whatever you want to call it. It is your business. It is our business to obey, to follow, to move, to respond, or, or what have you. Now, the author in this letter to the Hebrews, he wasn't just talking about um, radical obedience, but he also talked about enduring confidence. In the next two verses, he says, By faith, and you'll see that I added in with enduring confidence, he made his home, he, Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were there with, with him, or, sorry, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, who architect and whose builder is God. Now the author of, of this letter talks about Abraham and he says that he doesn't settle down in the land. But it says he waited and, and he lived as a foreigner in this, in this land with confidence, looking forward to what was ahead, looking forward to what he calls a, a city. And this isn't like a city like Seattle or a city like Portland. It was the people that were reading this letter would understand that the author was talking more about a city like, like Jerusalem, a city that held the temple, 
a place that would, would represent the, the presence of God, a place that would represent where, where heaven and earth would intersect and the presence of God, presence of God would, would rest and, and could be found. And, and he was pointing to this thing that, that we maybe would understand or, or the readers of this letter would understand, but, but Abraham never even got to a chance to see a glimpse of of the fulfillment of, of that promise, of a, of a place where heaven and earth would, would intersect and where God's presence would, could be found and where it could be met. And, and we know that that promise was actually eventually and ultimately answered in the person of Jesus, who would be on earth the very presence of God, to, who would be Emmanuel, God with us, and who would bless the, all people, who would fulfill that promise of blessing to all people through his life and through his death and through his resurrection and eventually through his followers who would follow after him. And we still wait for that. I love how N.T. Wright describes it though. He says this in his book, Simply Jesus. He says, with Jesus joining heaven and earth together in his own person, the Holy Spirit, which anointed and equipped Jesus himself for his kingdom work, comes pouring out onto his followers so that they become, as it were, an extension of that new temple where they are, heaven and earth are joined together. Jesus is with them. His life is at work in and through them. And whether in Jerusalem or in, out in the wider world, they are the place where the living God the God who is reclaiming the world for his own is alive and, and active in establishing his sovereign rule. And even in the midst of that, even as that is how we are living out our, our life with Christ and as we're trying to live by faith as we follow Jesus, we understand that this is still a, a work in progress. But we wait with this confident, confident endurance knowing that this, this city, that this culmination of when Jesus returns and, and establishes heaven on earth, when he reestablishes a new heaven and a new earth and brings a new Jerusalem, that that will be the, the opportunity when we have a, a never-ending time in the presence of God. And so we wait as he continues to fulfill his promise to Abraham and continues to fulfill his promise to us. And then in the last section of this passage, it says in verses 11 and 12, it says, and by faith, and again, you'll see that I added with life-enduring trust or life-altering trust, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashores. Now this story, you can go back and read about it in Genesis chapter 11 where we see Abraham and Sarah and they are, they're old. They're, they're, they're more than old. They, they're, it is laughable what the Lord is, is promising them, that they might bear children at, at their age. In fact, if you go back and read the, the, the story in, in Genesis chapter 18, you'll see that, that Sarah actually laughs at the Lord, that he would even suggest that she could have a baby at, at her age. But I want you to listen to the question that the Lord asks in that story. It's found in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. He says, is anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? And he follows that up with a promise. He says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. In her commentary on this 
a biblical scholar named Christina Bone says this about this question. She said, this question is more than rhetorical. It is an invitation to initiate the unbelieving couple who have accepted their childlessness as an unalterable reality of life into the world of belief in the creative, life-giving power of Yahweh. This question is heard in the setting of a closed future, which from a human perspective cannot be opened. However, it, it reminds the barren couple of the unlimited possibilities at the disposal of Yahweh, though they see that their future through their limited, limited human perspective. He will not fail to fulfill his promise. See, for us, that question, is there anything too difficult or too wonderful for the Lord? And for them, it's, it's a foundational question for us to answer. How we answer that question is going to determine how we live if, if we are to live by faith. And, and our trust in God's promises and his, both his willingness to and his ability to fulfill those promises, that it will determine the outcomes of our lives. It will change and it will alter the way we live. And in this situation, we see that it's it bring, where the Lord will bring new life into a, a place where life had, had not existed, place where, a place where it had not been before. And I think that's the things that we are looking for often, right? Is where, how can the Lord bring new life in some of the even like literal places in our life where they have, we have not seen life before? For example, like for them who were, who were just simply wanting a child. Or maybe it's in, in our own hearts and lives where we just are struggling in an area where we are feeling anxious about something. We just want new life. And do we trust that God not only has the ability but a, a willingness to fulfill his promises to us? That question, is anything too difficult or is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Because when we, when we look at these verses, when we look at, what's written in Hebrews chapter 11, not just the four verses we looked at today, but all the way through the Hebrews chapter 11. And, and when we look back at, at passages like we looked at today, where we see Abraham and, and Sarah, who were people that, that had great faith, who lived by faith. The temptation for us is to think, man, those people are, they're amazing. How did, that, is, that is fantastic. I, I'm just amazed at, at their faith and the way that they live by faith. But I also know, if you're anything like me, I also know what you're thinking, that how in the world am I supposed to live by faith if that is what by faith looks like? Like, how are we supposed to live by faith if, if by faith looks like this type of, of radical obedience, uh, enduring confidence, and, and life-altering trust? Because if you're asking me to, to move, that, that's a lot. If you're asking me to move to a foreign country and live as a foreigner, that's, that's a lot to ask. If you're asking me to, to change my whole family foundation to, to start a new family or whatever, like, these are big things that, that were being asked of these people. And, and it can sound overwhelming. It can sound even frightening. And we might just hesitate when we hear these kinds of, of things. But I think when we look at the story of, of Abraham and Sarah and the other ones that will come, we'll, we'll see that these were unique callings, right? That the Lord had a unique call for, for Abraham and a unique call for Sarah. He had a unique call last week when Mitchell talked about Noah and when Mitchell talked about Abel and, and when Mitchell talked about Enoch. There, there were unique callings. And, and that, even that word calling, it can scare us a little bit because we, we think it means all of a sudden we're going to be called into something that is, again, like radical obedience. But the word call, it's, in Greek, it's just, it's kaleo, which actually just means like an invitation or, or a summons. 
And so we might get really worked up about that. We might get really worried that God might ask us to do something outlandish. And I mean, the truth is he might. But here's the thing is that God's call is, <laughs> I only know this because I've served this week, that God's call is actually more like, like jury duty. And I'll explain how in a second. Like God's, God doesn't call special people. Like jury duty, they don't call special people. They just call all people. And if you haven't been called yet, sign up. It's, it's the best. I'm kidding. It's okay. But he doesn't call special people. He calls all people. Like the call that God has is, is, is for all people, for, for women and, and for men, for young and for old, for rich or for poor, for, for anyone and everyone. You see, when we talk about God's call, which isn't just like into like some life of, of ministry, it's, it's just into life with him. It, it's not a matter of, of if, it's just a matter of, of when. And it's a matter of what is he going to be calling you uniquely into? Or what is he going to be calling uniquely out of? Typically, those are the two things he does. He calls you to something or he calls you from something. We saw that in, in the story that we read today. And for us, the thing is, is that for us to understand, the thing is, is that God will call you to something that will require radical obedience. God will call you to something that will require life-altering trust. God will call you to something that will require enduring confidence in his power, in his wisdom, in his goodness, in his faithfulness. But those things, that radical obedience, life-altering trust, enduring confidence, doesn't automatically mean like a change in, in location. <laughs> it doesn't automatically mean a change in, in your vocation. It doesn't automatically mean a, a change in, in like your family trajectory, your family situation. Those, those are all possibilities, and, and I know because I've experienced them, but, but it's not automatic. That's not exactly, that's not always what God is going to call us into. Here's been my experience when, it's, when we're talking about how God calls us to live by faith, is that God might call you to leave a, a career. He might call you to leave and move across country or to, or to serve in some, in some way that you never thought you would. Trust me, I, I've, I know, I've, I've tried many of those things myself. And, and also I've read the Gospels where I, see, I saw Jesus call his disciples. He says, come and, and follow me. And, and these men and women, they left their homes. They left their occupations. They left their, their lives similar to Abraham and they, they just simply followed Jesus. So they, that might happen. And that's okay if it does. But here's how, what I've experienced, at least in my own life, is that those things are more rare. Those things don't happen quite as often. More often than not, the call you will experience are things that are a lot less visible, a lot less uh, even dramatic, a lot, a lot less obvious. They're not things that people around you are even going to know or see. The Lord's just going to be speaking into your heart. But it will still require radical obedience. It will still will require enduring confidence. It still will require life-altering trust. Let me just share with you a, a recent example from, from my own life. Uh, just a few, last weekend, uh, I was at a, a conference with, with some other pastors. It was, one of the, the evenings was like a prayer and worship time, and, and it was just, you know, we, we prayed and, and we worshiped, just as you would expect. And, and at, at that uh, event, at one point, they just paused and said, we're just going to turn off the music. We're going to just give you a chance to, to be silent. And if you've been around 
Journey Church, for the last month or two months, you know that we just finished up a, a prayer series where we talked about how praying is, is talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, and being with God. And so I thought, you know, here they're going to give me a handful of minutes. I want to, I want to practice one of these. I want to actually practice listening prayer, which if, if you were here and if you kind of went through some of that, it's, it's not complicated. You just silence yourself. Sweet. <laughs> that was awesome. You just silence, you just silence yourself. You say, Lord, I, speak to me. I, I'm here. I, I'm listening. Holy Spirit, would you, would you come? And then you just, you just wait. You close, you, you close your eyes and you just try to take deep breaths. And you try not to think of much. And you just see, wait and see if the Lord just gives you something. Maybe a, a, you know, an image in your mind. Maybe it's a, a word or, or a phrase or a song or a, even just like a scene or, or just somebody. And, and to be honest, when I've tried listening prayer before, it just has felt unsuccessful. I, there aren't, I haven't gotten much out of it. But as I sat there and, and just opened myself to the Lord, I felt like he said something to me. And it wasn't complicated. It wasn't even that profound. Um, he just said, don't hold it against them. <laughs> I was like, who? And so then as I just continued to kind of prayerfully consider that idea, don't hold it against them, he just brought into my mind different people situations, groups of people, types of people, individuals, close relationships, distant relationships, people, probably people in this room, he just said, don't hold it against them. And, and basically he was saying, like, don't, people aren't perfect. And, and you can have a tendency to, to <laughs> I mean, we all do, but Scott, you can have a tendency to be kind of critical in your heart, in your mind towards people. Don't, don't hold their, their mistakes, their, their whatever against them. And and it was a moment where I was like, oh, that's, that's real. That's tangible. That will require radical obedience. That will require enduring confidence. That will require life-altering trust. But it, I, I didn't have to leave the country to do it. I didn't have to change my job to, to follow Jesus in that way. I, I just simply had to recognize that God was saying this word to me. He was calling me like to this or, or kind of, it was kind of a combination to something and from something. What I listen, what I hear, what I understand, and then what I, what I obey. And I think that's the invitation more often than not is God's call. Is, it, it, sometimes it will be into, into ministry or into like a, a, a huge life change, a job change, a move, whatever. And, and I pray that the Lord would be calling big things into the lives of the people in this church, significant next steps, like into ways of, of serving the Lord both here near or far. But the reality is, is like the everyday life of, of following Jesus is filled with God speaking words of, of calling into our lives. If we will create the space and the availability to be able to listen and to hear, and then when we hear it, to actually obey. And, and for me, it's been a work in progress. I, like I, I'm working on it. Like when I'm with somebody and, and they do something that I'm just like, eh, don't hold it against them. I, I just been a phrase that's been coming back into my mind, don't, don't hold it against them. And it doesn't mean that I'm just giving them free will to do anything, but it, it's also like I'm not judge and jury. I was jury last week. I'm not judge and jury today. Let me invite the, uh, the worship team to come back up. As they do, I want to ask you just a couple of questions for you to consider both now and, and as we leave this place. And it's probably better to consider it as you go through the week. 
And here's the questions. It's what is God calling you to or what is God calling you from? Where is God asking you to wait? How is God inviting you to trust him or to trust his ability? And have you taken the time to listen? Now, these questions, they, they might take time to spend, you might have to give yourself some time for a listening prayer to see if the Lord is inviting you to or, or from something, if he is asking you to wait, if he is like pointing towards some way to, to walk in, in life-altering trust. But my encouragement is that when you do hear the Lord say something, is, is to, well, to vet it out, talk to some people about it, make sure it's from him, and then be obedient, radically obedient to that, which means it's just, it just doesn't have to be crazy. It just means it might be different than your usual. <laughs> it might be different than what's been traditional for you. Let me ask you to, to stand with me. I want to close by sharing a, a prayer from John Wesley. I'm going to read through it once, and just for your consideration, and then, and then we'll just pray it together if you feel comfortable, and there's no um, requirement that you would, but it's an invitation. So let me read it to you once. You can just consider it, and if this feels like something you want to pray today, then I'll invite you to join me in doing that. It says, Lord, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O oh glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. In the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And so this morning, as, as we prepare to kind of close with, with a song and, and then to enjoy some time together, if, if you want to pray that out loud with me, you can. If you just want to listen you can do that. If you just want to consider these words again, you can do that as well. But let's pray this. Lord, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O oh glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. In the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.